Well, this morning we're going to continue our time of worship by turning to God's Word once again, the book of Daniel. We're going to continue our series here in Daniel. Uh, Today we're going to continue eating that pie that we started last week. Remember, we were looking at the 70 weeks prophecy. Uh, We saw last week the first 483 years of that prophecy pointing us to the coming of the Messiah. Today we're going to take a look at what took place after the Messiah in Daniel's prophetic uh, revelation that he received from God, and, uh, and we're going to look specifically at that 70th week, that week that's still to come. Remember, this was a 490-year period, 70 periods of seven years that God had ordained for his people of Israel. Some of that time's already passed, some of it's yet to come, so we're going to see what God says about that future, and then we're going to be moving into Daniel chapters 10 through 12 today. We're going to start that chunk of scripture, the final section in the book of Daniel, which we're going to be in together for the next uh, two or three weeks uh, as we wrap up our series. Daniel chapter 10 uh, introduces us to uh, another revelation that God gave Daniel, an angelic vision uh, that Daniel was given, a prophecy about the end times, which we're going to look at next week in chapter 11, and then chapter 12 brings that whole section and the whole book of Daniel to a conclusion. So that's what we're going to be doing today and in the coming weeks, and uh, some exciting stuff, some exciting prophetic revelation from God about what is to come. You know, one of my, uh, one of my heroes of the faith, a modern-day hero of the faith, a woman named Corey Ten Boom. Uh, you may be familiar with Corey. She wrote a terrific book called The Hiding Place. Uh, I remember, I think I read this book first when I was in junior high. And, you know, speaking of our young people here, if you're looking for a, a thrilling, fascinating story to read, I can't recommend The Hiding Place to you enough. Uh, it's a story of Corey Tenboom and her family. They were involved with the Dutch resistance against the Nazis back in the 1940s in the Netherlands. And uh, Corey Tenboom and her family, between 1943 and 1944, they sheltered over 800 Jews from the Nazis. Uh, they built a secret room in, their, in the upstairs of their home where, where they hid Jewish families until they could find a way for them to escape out of the Netherlands into, into freedom. And, and again, they estimate that their family saved over 800 people during those years. Uh, it was a costly mission, however. Uh, Corey's sister and her father would both die uh, in, in, uh, in, Nazi, uh, in Nazi prisons after their family was caught and discovered after two years. Uh, Corey Tenboom herself, uh, she was miraculously released from Ravensbrück concentration camp. Uh, she discovered later it was a clerical error that allowed her to go, and a week after she was released, all the women in her age group were killed in the gas chambers. Corey would go on to have a, a powerful ministry for the rest of her life. She, she lived into the 1980s uh, sharing about the, the, the good news of Jesus Christ and her hope in Jesus and, and the hope that led her and her family to undertake this perilous, dangerous mission of rescuing the Jews during, during the Nazi occupation. One of, the, one of the great quotes and themes of Corey's life, uh, she said, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. And I love that quote. You think about all, all that that meant for her and her family. Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. I was thinking about that quote this week, and I, I couldn't help but imagine that Corey had probably spent a significant time in the book of Daniel. 
She was a believer in Jesus Christ. Her, her family were committed Christians. And I'm sure that the same inspiration that we've been taking from Daniel uh, inspired Corey and her family as they stood up against the oppression of the Nazis and protected the Jews that they were able to, to shelter. But Corey understood that we have a faithful God, a faithful God who is sovereign over history, sovereign over our lives. And even when we don't know the future or understand God's ways and his plans, we can trust him. We can trust that he is good and he is faithful. And that's what we're going to be looking at again this morning as we continue in our series in the book of Daniel. Uh, this morning, I want to highlight two assurances that we can have as God's people because we know the God who prevails. The God who prevails over all the powers, the God who prevails over history. Two assurances this morning that we want to highlight. Number one, the assurance that he wins in the end. We know that God wins, and we as his people, we win when we wait on him. Those are our two great assurances that we're going to see really clearly here in our passages this morning. As I mentioned uh, this mo earlier, we're going to finish where we left off last week, looking, looking at the 70 weeks prophecy that God gave Daniel a prophecy about his plan for the ages and specifically his plan for his people. The 70 weeks prophecy is found in Daniel 9, 24 through 27. As we talked about last week, the first half of this prophecy points us to the coming of the Messiah, the promised one. And God had told Daniel that there would be 69 weeks, 62 weeks and seven weeks. And again, those were weeks of years, seven year periods. And during these seven, uh, 69 weeks of seven years, we talked about the, the prophecy that led to 483 years. Daniel was told from the issuing of the decree to the Messiah, the prince, there would be 483 years. And we saw last week, I mean, miraculously, incredibly, God fulfilled that prophecy, bringing us to the time of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And now as we turn to verse 26 and 27, we see what takes place next in this prophetic period of history, this 490 years. Remember, some of this has already taken place, but there was still some yet to come. And in verses 26 and 27, we see the conclusion of this prophecy and what takes place next. Daniel goes on to reveal to us that he received in this vision, this prophecy. After the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. That anointed one, friends, refers to Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the one who was promised to come in that 69-year period, those 483 years. The anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And then he says, and the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood. And to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. And for half of the week he shall put an end to the sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. Now again, friends, some of this has already taken place in history, and some of it is still to come. Let's try to break down this prophecy and make sense of this for us. Verse 26, Daniel receives this word, that anointed one shall be cut off and have nothing. Well, we saw last week, the anointed one is the promised Messiah. 
And we saw that the 483 years prophesied from the issuing of the decree to the coming of the anointed one, Messiah, the prince, depending on the translation you're using, leads us right to the time of Jesus Christ. I believe that prophecy leads us to 30 AD when Jesus declared himself to be the promised Messiah. And then Jesus, as we know, ministered for three years and was then cut off. The cutting off of the anointed one took place at Jesus' crucifixion. And verse 26 tells us the anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And, and the having nothing there, friends, refers to the fact that it was not yet time for Jesus to rule over his earthly kingdom. He would be cut off. He would be crucified. But his time to rule had not yet come. And he was cut off and he had nothing. Verse 26 goes on and describes the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood. The people of the prince who is to come refers to the Romans, the Roman people. And we know from history that in 70 AD, the Roman general Titus came against Jerusalem and completely destroyed Jerusalem and completely destroyed the temple. And from 70 AD till 1948, the Jewish people were in exile. All the way up until 1948 when the nation of Israel was reborn miraculously by God's sovereign providential hand. But in 70 AD, the Romans completely destroyed Jerusalem exactly as Daniel's prophecy tells us. The people of the prince who is to come, the Romans, shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood. And that's exactly what happened in 70 AD when God brought his judgment against the Jewish people and destroyed Jerusalem and destroyed the temple. The prince who is to come here, friends, is a reference to the Antichrist. And the Antichrist is going to arise, as we've already seen a number of times in Daniel, he's going to arise out of a revived Roman Empire. We know this because this is what God prophesied for us in Daniel chapter 2, the vision of King Nebuchadnezzar, the statue that he saw. Remember the toes in chapter 2, the toes of iron mixed with clay. How many toes do we have? Ten toes. And in the end, there's going to be a revived Roman Empire made up of ten nations, a confederacy of ten nations. We saw that same thing in Daniel chapter 7. Daniel's vision of the fourth beast, this fearsome beast that arose with ten horns. And, and out of these ten horns, again, this confederacy of ten nations, one horn in particular rose to prominence. And that horn was the coming Antichrist. And so we see here again, the, the prince who is to come is going to come out of a revived Roman Empire. This is going to take place one day. Now again, remember, when we talk about God's prophetic word, we can trust that these things are true because God's fulfilled all of his other prophecies, literally true throughout history. And so when we read about what he's prophesied for the future, we can trust that these things are going to take place. Verse 26 goes on and tells us, And to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. Now again, this was a prophecy for God's people. And friends, what have we seen as the case for the Jewish people and the nation of Israel from the time of this prophecy? From the end, till the end, there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. Friends, what's been happening in the nation of Israel over the last 2,000 years? What's been happening on the news in the nation of Israel the last few weeks? War, fighting, 
attacks, terrorism. There is no peace in Israel. And there won't be peace in Israel again until the Messiah returns the second time when Jesus comes to restore this world and set up his millennial reign on earth. But the Bible tells us, till the end, there shall be war. We're leading a tour to Israel this next November. We've got about 20-some people from Lakes Free joining us on the tour. I had one of my friends email me recently, and they were concerned, you know, are we still going to do the tour with all this fighting going on in Israel? I said to my friend, I said, hey, if you're waiting for there to be peace in Israel before we go to visit Israel, you're going to be waiting a long time because God told us there would be wars until the end. And so we're waiting for Jesus to come when he is going to bring his final peace to Israel. Now, as we move into verse 27, we find another week described here. And this is the 70th week of Daniel's prophecy. Again, we're talking about a week of seven years. But it's important to note that this seven years is still in the future. It hasn't happened yet. It's not sequential with the earlier 483 years. Remember, we, we ate some of the pie. We put some of the pie in the freezer. God's going to take that piece out sometime in the future. It's still part of the same pie. It's all the same 490 years. But that seven-week period is still to come. That is the 70th week of Daniel's prophecy. And Bible scholars refer to this as the prophetic gap in Daniel's 70 weeks prophecy. That 70 weeks is still yet to come. We're waiting for it. Now, how do we know that that 70th week hasn't happened yet? How do we know that it's still to come? Well, we know that, friends, because Jesus, the Apostle Paul, and the Apostle John all refer to the events of the 70th week, and they tell us that these are future events that are going to be immediately, immediately followed by the second coming of Jesus Christ. So these events of the 70th week haven't happened yet. Let, let's take a look at what Jesus and Paul and John have to say about these 70, the 70th week period. This period that we know as the seven-year period of the tribulation, when the Antichrist is going to rule and reign over the earth. Jesus, in his Olivet Discourse, Matthew chapter 24, he tells us this about this 70th week. He says, so when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel... Friends, Jesus believed Daniel was speaking literal prophetic truth to us, all right? How did Jesus know that? Because he was the one who inspired Daniel with this vision, with this revelation, and Jesus reaffirmed it here in Matthew chapter 24. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house. Let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Jesus goes on in Matthew chapter 24. He says this in verses 29 through 30. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. 
Jesus is talking here about this seven-year period of tribulation, the 70th week of Daniel's prophecy. It's going to be a terrible time, a time immediately followed by Jesus' second coming. The Apostle Paul gives us a picture of these, these seven years. In 2 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians 2, 3 through 8, Paul says, let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. He's talking about when is the return of the Lord. He says it won't come until the rebellion comes first. What is the rebellion? It's the period of tribulation ruled by the Antichrist. The man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. This is exactly what Daniel says in Daniel 9, 27. The abomination, the, the abomination that sets himself up in the temple. Paul says, do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you of these things, and you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is taken out of the way. What is this restraining force that is keeping the Antichrist from appearing? Friends, I believe that restraining force is the church. It's the Holy Spirit alive today in God's people. And when that restraining force is removed from the world, the lawless one will appear and he will begin his reign of terror for seven years over the earth. When is the church going to be removed? I personally believe this is going to take place in the rapture. God is going to remove his people out of this world. Paul in 1 Thessalonians 1.10 tells us that Jesus is going to save us from the wrath to come. I believe that's a message telling us that we need not fear these events because we won't be here for them. God is going to save us from the wrath to come and then the lawless one is going to be revealed. And the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. Again, this is all going to take place in that seven-year period of tribulation. We as Christians, again, in my opinion, I don't believe we're going to be here for it. I believe we're going to be taken out of this world and it's going to be the removal of the church which is going to be the impetus for the world to rally around this one world leader. Friends, imagine the chaos this world is going to be in when up, upwards of a billion people suddenly disappear. The world's going to be thrown into chaos and they're going to be looking to follow somebody who claims to have the answers, who's going to claim to be able to protect us and bring peace and they're going to follow after this Antichrist who's going to come out of a ten-nation confederacy, a revived Roman Empire. The Apostle John, of course, speaks of these events in Revelation chapter 13. John tells us in Revelations 13, 5 through 8, the beast, the Antichrist, was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. Those are the saints who come to faith during the tribulation, not you and I. Again, I believe we're going to be out of here, but others are going to come to faith in the tribulation, and the Antichrist is going to make war on those people. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all who dwell on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. 
This is going to take place during that period of tribulation. But friends, there is hope. Even in the Antichrist rule, that rule is only going to last for seven years. And then John tells us what's going to take place in Revelations 19. Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. Friends, that's going to be you and I. That's going to be all of the deceased saints who have gone before us. We're going to come back with Jesus as the armies of heaven to wage war against the Antichrist. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured and with it the false prophet who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who had worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. And the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse and all the birds were gorged with their flesh. Friends, this is how that period of tribulation is going to come to an end. Jesus is going to return. Remember our great hope, friends, the assurances that we have. He wins in the end. And so no matter how dark the days get, no matter how turbulent the times, no matter how chaotic, we can have confidence that our God wins in the end. Now, we read those prophecies, and I'm, I, I, admittedly, they sound fantastic. They sound incredible. They, a lot of people read those, and, oh, that can't be true. Those, those have to be symbolic. They have to be, you know, allegorical. Friends, that is literal truth. It's going to happen one day. How in the world can you say that that's not literal truth when all of the other prophecies God has given us have come literally true in history? And so as even remarkable as those prophecies sound to our ears today, we can be confident that that is going to take place. And our hope, friends, our hope is that he wins in the end. Now the second hope that we have that I want to highlight for us this morning is that we win when we wait on him. We win when we wait on him. It's often hard to wait on the Lord, isn't it, friends? We wonder, where is, where is Jesus? Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. But we win, friends, even in our waiting. This morning, as we turn to the last section of the book of Daniel, chapters 10 through 12, let, let me just set the context for us. Chapter 10 tells us how Daniel received this revelation. Chapter 11 tells us what the revelation was, and then chapter 12 is the conclusion to this revelation in the book of Daniel. Now, just to give you some perspective again, I got the timeline that we've shown you a few times here. Daniel chapter 10 through 12 happens at the very end of Daniel's life in ministry in Babylon. He's an old man. He's probably in his 80s, mid-80s at this point. The lion's den has already taken place, right? This is the last section of Daniel's life and ministry in Babylon. And the, the, the scene of this section comes, as we're going to read here in chapter 10, Daniel was praying. He was praying and fasting. Why? Because he had received news that the Jewish exiles who were released by Cyrus when Cyrus took over and conquered Babylon in 539, Cyrus issued a decree to allow the Jews to return to their homeland. And Ezra chapters 1 through 4 tells us about that story. 
But the Jews had gone home and they had started to rebuild Jerusalem. But their rebuilding efforts were thwarted. And they ended up stalled for 15 years. And Daniel was praying in chapter 10 because he had heard this news. That the exiles who had returned had started building, but their building efforts were thwarted by enemies there in the ancient land of Israel. And, and so Daniel was praying that God would help them, that God would restore the rebuilding efforts. All right, this is all spoken of in Ezra chapter 1 through 4. And this is the setting for why Daniel is praying here in chapter 10. He's praying for the returned exiles, that they would continue the efforts of rebuilding Jerusalem and the temple. And so in chapter 10, we read what took place in Daniel's situation here as he prays. And here we find this hope with, that we've talked about. We win when we wait on him. Daniel chapter 10, let me read this for us this morning. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar. And the word was true, and it was a great conflict. And he understood the word, and he had understanding of the vision. We're going to talk about that vision next week. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself for the full three weeks. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen, an angel appeared to Daniel with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them. And they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision. And no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words. And as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O oh, Daniel, man greatly loved Understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. But Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia. And he came to make you understand what is to ha and I came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for days yet to come. When he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and was mute. And behold, one in the likeness of the children of man touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke. I said to him who had stood before me, O oh my Lord, by reason of the vision, pains have come upon me, and I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now no strength remains in me, and no breath is left in me. Again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me, and he said, O oh man greatly loved, fear not, peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. 
Then he said, do you know why I have come to you? But now I will return to the fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side against these except Michael, your prince. And as for me, in the first year of Darius the Mede, I stood up to confirm and strengthen him. Now this is obviously an incredible passage of scripture. Every Tuesday we do a sermon study in our staff meeting where I invite the staff to read the passage with me that we're going to be studying and they weigh in with their thoughts and their questions and it helps me early in the week to kind of get a handle on what are some of the issues that we need to deal with in our passages for the week. One of our staff members after reading this this week simply said to me, good luck with that one. <laughs> you know, admittedly, it's, it's a difficult passage. It's an interesting passage of scripture. It's a challenging passage to preach. And I was wrestling all week, Lord, what, how, do I, how do I teach this passage to our people here at Lakes Free Church? And one of the principles of Bible interpretation, Bible study that has always been helpful to me is the idea that you, need, you, you, use, you interpret Scripture by Scripture. In other words, when you come to difficult passages of Scripture, you interpret those difficult passages of Scripture by passages that are easier for us to understand. And so I started thinking about that, and God literally impressed on my heart a passage out of 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 5, that was running on my heart all week as I was studying this passage in the book of Daniel. And so I thought, you know what, I want to use this passage from 1 Peter as a commentary to help us interpret what we just read here in Daniel. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 through 11, the Apostle Peter says this, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. You know, Peter here shares some incredible words of encouragement and hope with us. And I would be willing to bet that Peter was very familiar with the story of Daniel. And I don't know this for sure, but I wonder if Peter, as he wrote these words, had Daniel's experience in chapter 10 in mind. Because they parallel each other incredibly closely. Peter here tells us, number one in verse six, he says, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God. Friends, let me ask you, where do you turn in times of trial in your life? Where do you turn? Peter tells us, and Daniel models for us, that the proper response to trials in our lives is to humble ourselves under God's mighty hand. We see that in our passage here in Daniel 10, verses 1 through 3. Daniel is lamenting the stalling of the rebuilding effort in Jerusalem. And what is Daniel's response? Daniel's response is the same response that he had throughout his entire life every time a trial entered his life. We've seen it over the last few weeks in our study of Daniel. What did Daniel do every single time he found himself threatened or under pressure or under trials or tribulations? 
What did he do when he was taken into captivity as a 15-year-old boy? What did he do when the king was trying to indoctrinate him in the Babylonian education program? What did he do when none of the wise men could interpret Nebuchadnezzar's dreams? What did he do when his friends were thrown into the fiery furnace? What did he do when he was asked to interpret more of the king's dreams, when he was called into Belshazzar's party? What did he do when he faced the lion's den? And every single one of those circumstances, Daniel Turn to the Lord in prayer. He humbled himself under the mighty hand of God. Friends, there's a great lesson in that for each of us this morning when we face trials and hardships and tribulations. Our very first and foremost response should be to humble ourselves under God's mighty hand. That was the pattern that we see in Daniel's life. Peter goes on in 1 Peter 5, 6, he says, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you. When we humble ourselves in prayer before the Lord, at the proper time, God promises he will exalt us. He will provide an answer. And Daniel, Daniel experienced that. See, friends, God has a proper time in mind. He has a plan for answering all of our prayers. Daniel, we see in our passage, he waited three weeks for the answer to his prayer. In verse 2 of chapter 10, Daniel tells us, in those days I was mourning for three weeks. And during that period of mourning, he fasted and he prayed. He prayed for three weeks. And on the 24th day, verses 10 and 11 tells us, on the 24th day, this angelic messenger finally appeared to give to Daniel an answer to his prayers. Three weeks went by, though. Some of you have been waiting in prayer for a long time, haven't you? Some of you have been praying prayers that have lasted well beyond three weeks. Some of you have been praying prayers that have lasted beyond three years. Some of you are still waiting today for God to answer your prayers. But friends, I want you to know, remember this principle, God's proper time isn't necessarily our preferred time, but it is always the right time. It's always his right time. And so we can be confident, friends, when we go to the Lord in prayer, that when we humble ourselves before the Lord at the proper time, he will exalt us. I've seen this in my own life so many times where I've sought the Lord in prayer. I've waited on the Lord for an answer. It seems as if God's gone silent. But God hasn't gone silent. We know that because what we see here in Daniel. We know that because of what we've experienced in our own lives. Peter tells us in 1 Peter 5, 7, that when we humble ourselves under the Lord at the proper time, he will exalt us. And then Peter tells us, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. We see this reality of God's care for us and that even when we don't understand how he's answering our prayers, we can be confident that he hears our prayers and he immediately puts a plan into action on our behalf. How do we know that? Well, again, we see that here in Daniel. In Daniel chapter 12, the angel shows up to Daniel three weeks later and look what the angel tells Daniel in chapter 10, verse 12. He says, fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. 
The angelic messenger tells Daniel, Daniel, from the very first day that you turned to the Lord in prayer, God heard your prayer and he set his plan into action. He sent me to come and bring you an answer. You know, friends, when you think you're praying and you wonder if God hears your prayers, understand God hears your prayers from the very first prayer, from the very first breath. God hears your prayers. And as soon as he hears our prayers, he sets his plan into action. Now, some of you are thinking, well, Jason, man, I've been praying a long time and I don't see his plan at work. Friends, God's plan is at work whether you see it or not. Pastor Rick shared this great quote from Pastor John Piper recently. Pastor John Piper said about a year ago in in, uh, one of his sermons, God is always doing 10,000 things in your life, and you may be aware of three of them. Friends, God is not silent. As the angel assures Daniel, he hears your prayers from the very first prayer you pray. And he sets his plan into action. 1 Peter 5, 8 goes on and tells us, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Here we learn about the spiritual warfare taking place in the background that we don't always see. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 6, 12, he describes the spiritual warfare like this. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Friends, there is a spiritual warfare raging behind the scenes that we aren't always aware of. We see this in Daniel chapter 10 and verses 13 through 14 as the angelic visitor comes to Daniel and says, Daniel, from the very first day you prayed, God heard your prayer and he sent me to answer your prayer. But I was detained by the prince of Persia and the kings of Persia were fighting against me and it was only because Michael, your prince, Michael the archangel showed up and helped fight against these princes of Persia that I was able to get here to deliver this message. Now that's insane. That's crazy, right? I mean, like, there is this battle going on in the heavenlies related to our prayers, related to God's plan for the ages, related to world empires, these princes of Persia who were seeking to influence the Persian empire and its leaders, probably to thwart God's plans for his people. And this angelic messenger is detained in this spiritual battle for three weeks. And it was only because a greater angel, Michael, showed up to bring him relief that he was able to get there and share this message with Daniel. Friends, understand there is a spiritual warfare going on in the world. And there are demonic powers The angel calls them princes here. Paul talks about rulers, authorities, cosmic powers, princes and kings of Persia, the prince of Greece. These are demonic forces, territorial spirits over these world empires who are seeking to thwart God's plans for his people. Are there territorial spirits in the world active today? I believe so. Are there territorial spirits over every city, town, state, country? I don't know. The Bible doesn't give us that kind of broad indication. 
But we know, at least in this case, there were princes of Persia. There was a prince of Greece. These were demonic forces seeking to thwart God's plans. Are these forces still at work in the world today? I believe so. You see what's taking place even in our own state, our state government, and some of the laws that they're passing these days? Friends, there are demonic forces influencing these decisions. The prince of Minneapolis and St. Paul is working hard to thwart the will of God in our communities. There is a spiritual warfare raging. And Daniel gives us a little glimpse into that. I want you to understand three things about this spiritual warfare, though, today that can give us some great hope and encouragement. Number one, we need to remember that God is sovereign over everything angels and demons included. We know that because Paul tells us in Ephesians 1.11 that God works all things according to the counsel of his will. He doesn't say all things except for the angels and the demons and the spiritual warfare. No, God works all things according to the counsel of his will. There's nothing that takes place in this entire universe that is outside of God's sovereign providential oversight and direction. Friends, you can be assured of that. God works all things according to the counsel of his will. Number two, nothing that we read about here in Daniel chapter 10 was a surprise to God or ever out of his control. How do we know that? King David tells us in Psalm 139, 16, that every single one of his days was written in God's book before one of them came to be. God had written all the days of David's life in his book before one of them came to be. And guess what? Not just David's life and not just Daniel's life, but your life too. All of your days have been written in God's book before one of them came to be. Friends, for Daniel, that included these three weeks of prayer where he was waiting on God. That included those three weeks that the angelic messenger was battling against the princes of Persia and the prince of Greece. That included Michael coming to rescue him so that he could bring his message to Daniel. God wrote all of that in his book. All of that was written before one of them came to be. None of this ever happened outside of God's providential oversight and control. Thirdly, this morning, understand this about spiritual warfare. Whatever reason God had for allowing his angels to be detained in this spiritual battle, their victory and God's mission for them was never once in doubt. How do we know that? The Apostle John tells us in 1 John 4, 4, greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Who is in us, friends? The spirit of the living God. The spirit of the living God, our creator, our sovereign ruler is greater than he who is in the world. Don't ever make the mistake of thinking that God and Satan are equals. He is the creator. Satan and all of his minions are creation. And God is sovereign over all of them. And he has ordained all of their days as much as he has ordained all of ours. And so we can trust that our creator is good and faithful. And this is why Peter goes on and he says in 1 Peter 5.10, after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Did God do this for Daniel? Absolutely. Verses 18 and 19. 
Again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me, and he said, O man, greatly loved, fear not, peace be with you, be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened. Friends, God doesn't always answer our prayers on our time frame. And we don't always know the way that he is working behind the scenes. But he has a plan, and he's always putting that plan into action for your good and for your well-being. And when we trust him at the proper time, he will exalt you, and he will strengthen you. And as we wait on him, we can be confident that we have a good and faithful God and that there's nothing happening in our lives that are outside of his sovereign care. And I love how Peter ends our passage this morning, 1 Peter 5.11. He says, to him be the dominion forever and ever. Remember, what was the angel's message to Daniel? Daniel had been waiting on the Lord in prayer. The angel's message to Daniel, verse 21, I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. The angel came to reveal God's plan for the angels to Daniel. And we're going to see that next week in chapter 11 and into chapter 12. But friends, never forget, history literally is his story. God's written his plan for the ages. We know he wins in the end, and we know we win when we wait on him. And so we can be a people of hope and confidence this morning. Let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this passage that we had a chance to look at together, even though there are some difficult, challenging things in it, Lord. We see in this passage these two great assurances that, that you win in the end and we win as we wait on you. And so, Lord, help us to hold fast to those promises. Help us to trust you each and every day, even when we don't understand what's taking place in our lives or how you're going to answer our prayers or when your plans are going to come to fruition in our lives. Lord, help us to trust you and to know that you are good and you are faithful and you are always working your plans for our good and for your ultimate glory. And help us to rest in that hope. We thank you, Jesus. We pray that you bless us now as we head off into our week, living to serve you, trusting in you, the God who is sovereign over all the ages, the God who prevails. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, please stand for our benediction this morning. From 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 16. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with you all. Amen. God bless you. Hey friends, thanks for joining us online today. If you have further questions, are in need of prayer, or would like to give financially to the ministries of Lakes Free Church, I encourage you to visit our website, lakesfree.org. There you'll also find information regarding our upcoming events. You can access all of our past sermon series, along with a host of other valuable resources. If you're in the area, we'd love to have you join us in person for one of our Sunday services or other events. We'd love to meet you. Thanks again for joining us, and may God bless you.